Lord, as we come this morning to your word, I ask that our hearts and our ears would be open to hear. It might seem like a repetitive prayer that we hear every Sunday. But Lord, we need to be reminded every Sunday that our hearts aren't always open to receive and our ears aren't always open to listen because we are still filled with our own selves and you have asked us to come to you empty ourselves before you so that you might fill us up. And so, Father, as we come to your word this morning, fill us up. Fill us up, Lord. Speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Teach us something, even if it's just one thing. But let it make an impact in the way that we see you, know you, love you, worship you. Be in this place this morning to be magnified and glorified. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This season is about remembering. And so as we turn to our scripture today in Mark chapter 15, we once again remember what it is that Jesus said on the cross And we're in the fourth saying of Jesus this week. And it's found in Mark chapter 15, verses 33 through 35. And so if you have a Bible with you, or if you want to open the Pew Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 15, and that's where we're going to be spending uh, our time looking at these words of Jesus on the cross. And I think it's some of the most heart-wrenching words that Jesus Ever proclaimed. And so this is Mark chapter 15, 33 through 35. And when the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders bystanders heard it, they began saying, Look, he is calling for Elijah. Like I said, I think this is some of the these are some of the most heart-wrenching words of Jesus in all of Scripture. But I want us to start in verse 33, because I think that we're supposed to understand, we're supposed to grasp what it is that is actually happening in this moment in order to understand what is about to happen in the very next moment. The scripture tells us that it was the sixth hour, which is noon, so at noon, Darkness falls over the whole land until the ninth hour, that is 
3. So for three hours, darkness covers the land. And for us to really understand what's happening, I think we actually have to turn all the way back to Exodus chapter 10 and read verses 21 through 23. This is the ninth plague sent in Egypt. And if we understand the plagues, we understand that they were sent due to the hard heart of Pharaoh. His hard heart to let God's people go, to go and worship Yahweh in the wilderness. But even more so, it would be their exodus into freedom. For God wanted to redeem them and deliver them. But here's what Exodus chapter 10 says in verse 21 through 23. It says, Then Yahweh said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the sons of Israel had light in their places of habitation. Fascinating to me, I think, that it was for three days in Egypt and it was for three hours at the cross of Christ. I truly believe that when we read this, we're supposed to realize that it is connecting us back to Exodus. Back to the work that God was doing back then was the beginning of the work that he did with Jesus on the cross. And so darkness fell over the entire land. Redemption would come for the Israelites and redemption was coming for all of mankind. But darkness was actually a sign of their hard-heartedness. It was a sign of how the Egyptians had these hard hearts against Yahweh, against God. And in the same manner, darkness falls all over the land as Jesus hangs on the cross because they too have hard hearts. and They cannot yet see what is right in front of them. The greatest work in all history right in front of them. And so in one way, the darkness was a judgment against the people for their hard hearts toward the Lord. But it's what comes after the darkness that is the good news. It's what comes after the darkness that we have to be looking forward to, just like how the Israelites had to look forward to what was coming after the darkness as they were being led out of Egypt. And so what is the good news for us? For we've all experienced our own darknesses. We've all experienced our own hard-heartedness. 
even this morning as we were praying going into the sermon. It's the realization I have to be reminded every Sunday that I need a soft heart and I need ears to hear because I let myself get in the way every single time. And so in a way, there is darkness within all of us, but there is hope yet still. And so then we hear in verse 34, and at the ninth hour, as the darkness recedes, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first thing that we have to understand when we hear that is that Jesus is actually quoting a psalm. He's quoting David in Psalm 22. And to be honest, I would love to stand here and read the entire psalm this morning because it is that good. It is that good. But I'll just read a little bit of it for us. This is Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my salvation are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I call by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you rescued them. To you they cried out and were granted escape. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But then as the psalm goes on, we hear about this distress that has come near. How the bulls have surrounded me, verse 12. Strong bulls from Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouths at me as a lion that tears and roars. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue cleaves to my draws. And you lay me in the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Does that not sound familiar? There is no moment in the record that has any of these things happen to king, happening to King David. None of them. This psalm is fully and completely prophetic. An image, a glimpse of Christ Jesus, the one who is to come that these things would happen to. the very words of Jesus crying from the cross as his body broken, his blood shed, his hands and feet pierced, stabbed in the side where water poured out. 
man, have we been, as we've been going through each of these moments and these sayings of Christ on the cross, it is so rich with prophetic fulfillment. It is so rich with being able to turn back to the Old Testament and see where it is written that these things will happen and it will be a sign of one who is to come. If you've ever had doubt that Jesus is who he said he is, then look no further than scriptures written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the cross that point directly to it, that point directly to that moment. But it's not just that Jesus is quoting this psalm. I want to make that very clear. It's not just that Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. Some scholars believe that he actually quoted the whole thing on the cross and that they only wrote the first line and everybody would know that Jesus was saying the whole thing. I think, as we said last week, I think that would have been really improbable considering how hard it was to breathe on the cross. But what I really also believe in this, what's really happening is It wasn't just that he was quoting a psalm for us to look, to see this prophetic fulfillment. But it was actually the heartfelt cry of the Son of God in one of the most desperate moments of eternity with the separation that he experienced from the Father. For the first time, in the entire eternal existence of Jesus. He experienced the loss of perfect communion with Father God. The only communion that he has ever eternally known is gone. Tim Keller says this, he says, this forsakenness, this loss was between father and son who had loved each other from all eternity. This love was indefinitely long, absolutely perfect, and Jesus was losing it. Jesus was being cut out of the dance. It's not just that Jesus was quoting something so that we could look back and see prophetic fulfillment. It's that literally in the cry of his heart as the son of God, for the first time in all of his being, he experienced separation from the Father. I have to be honest, as I think about this for our own lives, have any of us ever cried out the same? God, where are you? Why aren't you near? Why are these things happening? I'm desperate for you. Where are you at? Do you... Care? 
Are you there at all? Grief, turmoil, loss, suffering, illness, disease. Jesus, where are you? I can't deny that I've been there. I can't deny that I was there last fall. Where I had these recurring moments of wondering, God, where are you? I miss you. I miss the communion. I miss the relationship. I miss your working in my life. Why aren't you there? And I know it's not going to be the last time that I'll be in that spot. Part of the human existence is to go through these sufferings, these moments, and maybe even to a point having unbelief and doubt as to whether or not God is really working in the background. And I just want to encourage you that you are not alone in feeling that way of having that same question in those moments in your life where you're like, God, where are you? Have you abandoned me? Have you forsaken me? Have you turned your back on me? Why are these things happening the way that they're happening? This isn't the way that I anticipated things going, the way I expected them to go. I thought things would be different. I thought that trusting in you, believing in you, meant more than loss, more than grief, more than suffering. But we experience it. Jesus promised it, the Gospel of John, that tribulation would come in our lives, that suffering would be a part of what it means to follow Him. But I want to let you know that just because you've had those feelings, those thoughts, you've said those words, doesn't make you less in the eyes of God. Indeed, I actually think that those are invaluable experiences for us. Even the ones when we are hanging by just a thread of faith. God wants to work in that and through it. In fact, we need to acknowledge the weakness of our belief in those moments that he may strengthen us. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, if I can find it, verse 4 says this, For indeed... He was crucified because of weakness. Yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him. Yet we will live with him because of the power of God toward you. there was ever any doubt 
in those moments. It's actually in those moments that the power of God can best work in you and through you and toward you. In fact, the very cross of Jesus is the evidence of that power being able to be made manifest in your life. When you feel like the darkness has surrounded you, it is the cross of Christ that gives us the sliver of hope that times of trouble are only temporary. How easily we forget Romans 8, 28. That he works all things together for the good of those who love him and were called according to his purposes. And like it, Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of the Lord. In fact, the the desire of the Father, the desire of God in your life is to only bring about good, especially in the midst of suffering and hardship and difficulty. We will face those things, but God has a plan that In his sovereignty, he can see, but we might not be able to. But what's even more is the good news that follows. The good news that comes out of knowing that, yes, I might have these moments of weakness, of darkness, of unbelief, of doubt, of questioning God. But it cannot compare. to the separation that Jesus experienced and felt on the cross. Why is that? Because it's the work that was accomplished in that moment when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that quote from Tim Keller, he actually continues and says, you see, Jesus, the maker of the world, was being unmade. Why? Jesus was experiencing our judgment day. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't a rhetorical question. And the answer is for you and for me and for us. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never have to be The judgment that should have fallen on us fell instead on Jesus. Even if you are connected by a thread, you are still connected to the Father. Because he will never leave you nor forsake you in Christ Jesus. Jesus paid that price of separation so that once you come to him, you never have to.
He will never repay you with wrath because Jesus took it upon himself. In the most desperate moments that we face with God, they don't compare to the moments that Jesus experienced. And that's the good news for us because what Jesus experienced was enough It was satisfactory, insufficient, and sufficient, not insufficient. I know that sounded like I said in. It was sufficient. It was fully enough for me and for you and for us. For us to come to him and trust that that work is done, even when we might feel that he is far away, he is not as far as he could be. Romans chapter 5 reminds us of this. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. No matter how desperate we feel, no matter the loss we've experienced, the struggles that we have to go through, the difficulties that we face, in belief of Jesus Christ, all those things are nothing because our Father will not abandon us nor forsake us in Christ Jesus. He experienced the very wrath so that we don't have So when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Though we might utter those words, the good news and good truth is that he has not forsaken you at all. But because on the other side of the cross is everlasting life. I want to wrap up with verse 35. And it might seem random and thrown in there. But verse 35 says this. And when some of the bystanders heard Jesus say these things, they began saying, look, he's calling for Elijah. Here's how I want to wrap this up for us this morning. Even when you're hanging on by a thread, you hold on to that belief. Even when everything around you is going south, people are not going to understand it. People are going to mock you for your belief. They're going to mock you for crying out to a God who by all exterior looks like he has left you forsaken you and abandoned you. 
and they will mock you for believing it just as they mocked Jesus for crying out to the Father. They don't understand in this world and in this society what it means to hold on even in the darkest moments of our lives. I say this, let them mock you, even revile you. As Jesus said, it will happen. Because as you hang on to that thread, and that thread becomes two, and then that thread becomes a spool, and that spool becomes a tapestry, they will bear witness to the work of God in your life. Let us close with Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 24, which reads this. Therefore this I say and testify in the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their mind, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. The darkness that existed for those three hours prior to Jesus giving up his spirit. When we are in the hardest of our hearts, there is still hope. Because they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you heard him and were taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, to lay aside in reference to your former conduct the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new man, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You have been made new. You've been made new in Christ. And you never have to suffer separation from God once you've received him in Christ Jesus. That is our eternal hope. And that is the good news of the cross. And that's the good news of Jesus declaring, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So you will never be forsaken. You call upon his name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that while Jesus cried out, my God, my God, those are words we never have to say. That even that in the most distressing moments of our heart and we wonder where you are, we can hold on, trusting that you have not left us nor abandoned us nor forsaken us. You are God who works all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Let us hold on and see the good work and tapestry that you will make within us. We love you, Lord. Amen.